allies, and anybody that wants to learn more about the LGBT plus community. My name is Zanardi, and I'm so glad all your beautiful faces are here. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 16 of the Alphabet Mafia podcast. I know it's been a minute. It's been a minute. I have missed this. Anyway, I don't want to get into too much housekeeping. My guest today is Josh Van Sant. I discovered Josh on TikTok. He is another member of the gay community that gives advice on TikTok and is really using his platform to to help younger gays. He is a professional PR person, so he works with large brands on their PR campaigns. He is also the founder of TheModernGay.com. That is his blog site where he talks about everything the modern gay gentleman needs to know. And so we had a great conversation. We talk about the importance of gay friendships. We talk about the state of hookup culture and why it's so prevalent amongst the gay community and how harmful it can be. And we talk about the state of pride. Meaning, is pride too corporate, and do kinks belong at pride, things like that. So I had a great time with another fellow activist amongst the community. Oh, and he has one of the most beautiful voices. His voice is, it's, it's very uh, aesthetically pleasing. Is aesthetic a word? Is, does not just mean visual? Anyway, it's a beautiful voice. Uh, give it up for Josh Van Sant. Hello. Hey, Josh. How are you doing today? I'm very well. How are you going? All the way over there in San Diego. Yes, I'm. I'm doing well. I'm out here in in sunny Southern California. Everyone's locked indoors, so we're not enjoying the sunshine as much. But it's it's happening. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Just you know where you're from and and, and what you do and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So firstly, thank you for inviting me on to chat. Uh, I'm really excited. I think we both have very similar missions in creating a community and inspiring our communities. Um, so I'm really excited for the chat today. Um, I'm in London, hence the slight delay uh, calling you from the other side of the world. But I'm originally from Sydney, Australia. Um, I was born in South Africa, but I grew up in Sydney. And I started a blog, I think, in maybe, must have been almost eight, nine years ago now, called The Modern Gay Guide to Life, when I was in my 20s. And I had a lot of feelings and a lot of pent-up emotion that I needed to get out. And I thought, you know what, I can't be the only one that's going through this. So it was the start of blogging, and I thought, I can do this. And I put this online journal and analysis platform together where I could talk about my feelings and I've been doing similar things ever since then. Wow. That's awesome. So so you put together the, this blog um, just with the mission of, of helping others who, who are gay or who might be in a similar position and feeling what you were feeling? Yeah. I, I thought the, the title, The Modern Gay Guide to Life, is quite ironic because there's no such thing as a guide to life, right? It's all about <laughs> learning, experiencing, making the rules, breaking the rules, finding out what works for you. So I thought this is a great title, The Modern Gay Guide to Life. And ultimately, it was a platform for me to be able to express what I was going through, to try to start a dialogue with people that might be uh, critical of what they see in the gay community, the experiences that they're having that might be different to what mainstream gay culture was telling them they should be experiencing. Uh, so I wanted to give 
people similar to myself an opportunity to come out and connect with each other so that we could talk about these things. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that's a great idea um, because I know that's something that a lot of young LGBT people experience is, is feeling lonely or feeling like they can't talk about certain things because, you know, it's wrong or, or you know, being gay is st- still stigmatized. So, um, you know, talking about relationships or, or sexual matters uh, in and of itself is not, you know, always welcomed. But now you're adding a layer of, of, of gay to it, of gay relationships or gay sexual mm-hmm. experiences. And, and there's even more stigma surrounding it. So that that's really a, you know, um, I applaud your, your work. Um, I've w- loved a few of your videos on TikTok. Um, I follow you there. And I saw, I didn't see on your blog um, that you made a video about um, the corporate takeover of Pride and how Pride has become so commercialized that it's not, um, it's kind of lost a, a bit of its meaning. Uh, it's, and everything is about selling rainbows and getting the, you know, the next advertiser and big corporation to say, hey, look how much we support you know, Pride. Um, what, what inspired you to make that video? Was there one moment that you were like, wait, this is, this is uh, you know, not what Pride means anymore? Or, or was it something that you saw happening over time? It's an interesting question, um, and I'm in various minds about it. Um, I remember in Sydney there is the Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, which coinc- doesn't coincide with general world pride uh, events, which normally happen in June, July, August in the Northern Hemisphere. In the Southern Hemisphere, there's the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras. It happens in um, the early parts of the year. It's summertime uh, in Sydney, but it also coincides with a political movement that was happening at the time in a protest that was uh, very specific to Sydney uh, and the state in which I grew up. So that's why it's slightly different to uh, on, on the schedule to the other prides. Um, and I remember a few years ago, there was a big bank that had turned all their ATMs in the vicinity in the gay community area in the, in the kind of local neighborhood. They had turned all their ATMs into gay TMs. And it was quite a fabulous expression of gayness in terms of like the glitter and the rainbows. And that really drew my attention to this corporate involvement in pride and in um, these kind of political parades that happen. And they, I, I still think they are quite political. Um, and at the time I was quite impressed. It was a really brave thing to do uh, mm-hmm. for a big bank, one of the biggest banks in Australia to do something so outwardly in support of the gay community. Um, and it was still early days in, in big corporations supporting Pride. So I'm not sure what the kickback was to the community. I'm not sure what they ultimately were offering the community other than a show of support. Um, And ever since then, it sort of spiraled out of control. And I think all these brands started to realize that it's an amazing marketing moment in their calendar, that they can jump on board uh, in order to sell rainbow product, in order to show that they have a purpose or that they care for something other than themselves. Uh, but my issue has become that the the support is so shallow, uh, the kickback is so shallow, and it's only generally for three to four weeks of the year that they stand up in support of the 
LGBTQI plus community. Um, so that's sort of where we're at now with all these brands jumping on board, putting the rainbow flag on everything, saying that they support the community. Uh, but in my mind, a lot of it is very shallow. Sure. They're, they're doing it because they see dollar signs or because they see everyone else doing it. Uh, and it, it makes you question the authenticity of, you know, that rainbow on that merchandise or, or the meaning behind it. Um, and when, so when did you see this bank? You said it was, it was fairly um, early in, in the LGBT movement. Do you, do you recall what year it was? I mean, when I say early, I want to say it was early for me. Right. Mm. So I, I, it was when I was becoming aware of this. So I don't want to claim it as the first thing that anyone ever did in support of the LGBTQI community, because I'm not mm. sure of the facts. But it was the first thing that I definitely noticed. And I want to say it was in about 2012 or 2013. Um, yes. But okay. again, it could just coincide with when I was coming to terms my sexuality I was coming out so it was obvious to me at the time mm. okay uh, yeah that 2012 does seem fairly early I would say for for the the corporate takeover of um, of pride I, I would agree with you that it was fairly early so you were coming out in 2012 if you don't mind me asking how how old were you at that time Goodness, when you came out. how old was I in 2012? Um, I need to do a bit of maths here. Um, I was, oh, I think I was in my mid-20s. In your mid-20s, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I was in my mid-20s. Um, I think I was out by this point, definitely. And what, um, so you came out in your in your 20s. Uh, what, if you don't mind, what was... Um, what led you through that journey? If we can kind of talk about your your personal experience coming out, what um, prompted you to come out around that age, at, at age twenty? Yeah, I, I should be. I should just clarify something. I that was probably the last phase of my coming out. Okay. So I think that there's kind of three distinct phases for me of, of coming out. Uh, the first was coming out to my sister and telling her that I was interested in boys, that I was hooking up with boys. And I think she must have been about 13 or 14 at the time. So I would have been about 18 or 19, mm. um, which I guess sounds like, you know, a strange thing to tell a 13-year-old. But she was always quite mature. We were very close. And I knew she wouldn't judge. And it was just a very natural thing to be able to – we were very open and honest about so much. So it was just a very natural thing to, to include her in that conversation about uh, coming to terms with the feelings and the experiences I was having. Uh, and then I always, I always, when I was a teenager, I imagined that one day I would marry a girl and that I wouldn't be able to necessarily get rid of the feelings I had towards men, but that I would be able to have a wife, be able to get married and perhaps explore that gay side of me in secret or in an ideal scenario, maybe meet a woman who would be understanding that I had the side of me. Uh, but then I met someone when I was 20 and we were dating a girl. And I realized then 
because I think she she had really strong feelings for me. And at the same time, I met a guy that I fell for and I didn't want to be with this girl anymore. And she thought there was something wrong with her because I didn't want to be with her intimately. Uh, my I was very detached. I almost resented her. And she, I was worried that she felt that there was something wrong with her. And then mm. I realized this is really unfair. You could never do this to another human being. Uh, use them you know, to cover up something about yourself. And that's when I started telling my friends and I started coming to terms with the fact that I needed to accept my sexuality. Uh, and then it, even there, it took me a few years to come out to my parents. And I think that they knew by that point that we hadn't discussed it. So when I was about 24 or 25, I decided it was time to address the, the elephant in the room. Sure. Yeah. And and was coming out to your sister first years before, was that um, exponentially helpful for you? Just having that that one person, that that rock that um, was able to just be there for you and and kind of just support you through that? Yeah, I think with my friends and with my sister, there was never a coming out moment as such. It was always about including them on the journey. And Granted, I included my friends a bit later on the journey, Mm -hmm. uh, but with my sister, it it was more about just telling her, oh, I've met a boy, or I kissed a boy, and I kissed a girl at the weekend. And with my friends, it was the same similar conversation. So there was never this moment of having to sit them down and say, I have something to tell you. Uh, Not that I think it would have been a surprise for anyone, because I think they probably gathered uh, just by the fact that I was, you know, quite, I was quite... I think I, it was quite obvious. Um, I don't mm. want to say that it's ever obvious when someone's gay or not, but I think your friends and those close to you generally get a sense that there might be a layer to your sexuality that you're not talking about. So I think they knew. Um, and I always, I, I just took them along the journey. So it was really comforting to have supportive friends and my sister just being there and being so normal and responsive to what I was telling them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and and in a nonchalant way, even that that's so freeing to just be able to casually mention to your to your friend or to your siblings, hey, you know, I went on a date with a, another boy um, versus having to bottle that in. I, I, I know and I'm speaking from experience, just how, how freeing that is to be able to participate in the casual conversations of relationships um, and not feel judged for it. So. Uh, you do talk about um, friendships yeah. on your on your blog. I, I want to dive into that, talking about um, the importance of having gay friends. I personally have um, my my yeah. solid friend group is right now is, is is a straight friend group because I was in a fraternity in college. Um, luckily, I found a solid friend group in that fraternity that continued to support me after I came out, which is my senior year of college. Um, so they've remained very close to me. I do have gay friends, but they're not as close as my straight friends. Um, and so what is, in your experience, the, the importance of having uh, of gay friendships? How, how do they differ that from, from straight friendships and why? Hmm. Well, I think it's amazing that you have a supportive group of straight friends. I think that's also really, really important that Mm -hmm. you surround yourself with different people who have different backgrounds, different interests, different sexualities. Um, I think that's the the magic of life, being able to learn from different people. So I I think it's very valuable to have straight friendships. And I've even written a post on my blog before about the importance of having um, 
straight best friends. And I, I have probably two or three boys that I would consider my mates, like my brothers, right? Mm. And these guys are straight boys and they're married and they've got kids and they're just so comfortable in their sexuality that my sexuality has no impact on their lives whatsoever. They're happy to come with me gay clubbing. They're happy to be flirting with boys. You know, they're just so chill. And I think that's really, really important as well. So I'm grateful that I have those straight friends as well. What I've come to realize, though, as I've grown a little bit older, is that gay friends play a different role in your lives in that they understand the experiences you've been through. They understand where you're coming from. They have a shared experience. You can talk about things with them on a more intimate level that you might not be able to speak to your straight friends about. Um, I, I think going back to the age thing, a lot of my straight friends now are married with kids. They're in a very different phase of their life. Uh, they're, they're settled down. A few of them are onto their second and third kids. They've got mortgages. They, they operate in a much smaller uh, community than me. I live in London. A lot of them still live in Sydney. They're still very much uh, amazing people, uh, but they're lives went in a different direction to mine and the older you get the sort of wider that gap becomes and without the support of the, the gay friends who are with me in this tangent over here it could be quite lonely um so i'm grateful that i've managed to find that support network in in a gay circle of friends or a circle of gay friends <laughs> a gay circle of friends yeah i guess both work <laughs> sounds fun <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was how, really fun, doesn't it? I've yeah. definitely seen that movie before. <laughs> yeah, I, I want the invite. <laughs> um, and and so for for anyone listening, um, how did you find your gay friends? Um, for someone who you know, for anyone listening that doesn't have gay friends, and they're they 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 hear your words of wisdom on the importance of of, of gay friendships. How did you find your friends and, and do you have any advice for those that are looking? Yeah, it's a question I, I get asked uh, by some of my followers on, on TikTok especially. Um, they ask me, you know, I live in a small town or I'm not out of the closet. How do I meet other gay people? Um, and it is a little bit harder, I'm not going to lie. Um, when you're younger as well and you're not out of the closet and it's a bit more of a uncertain world and you don't feel 100% comfortable in yourself, it, it's hard to attract people like you because you're mm -hmm. a little bit more scared and you don't want to be as vulnerable. But I think there's a few ways. Um, I think the internet is an amazing space and granted there's a process and, you know, we need to be very careful with interacting with strangers online. And I would reiterate that, especially for younger people that you need to be very conscious of who you're talking to and not believe everything you hear or read online. And, you know, there are definitely catfish in that what out there, but I think, through social media and through um, platforms such as this and uh, online forums, there's a way to meet people online in a kind of safe way. Um, and the, the, that 
there's no lesser value to an online friend. I also want to make that clear that friendship doesn't always need to be something, especially in the world we live in now, where you can't see your friends physically or you can't be together. There's no lesser value in having a friend that you can confide in online. I think as long as there's the support there and the value uh, that you get from each other is still positive, then an online friendship is just as good. Um, I can talk about how I made friends, and that was through work. When I finished school, I had no friends, gave friends at school, but when I went into university and started working in retail, I met one gay person who worked in my store with me and then through them I met more people and then through that group of people I was confident enough to go to gay clubs and it sort of snowballed into this wider network. Um, university was a great place for me to connect with people. At the time MySpace, going back to the internet thing, was a thing and mm. I met guys on MySpace and chatted to them and became friends with them and then met them in real life. Um, and also through dating, uh, that's probably one of the areas or if not the area that I met most of my friends in, which is funny because there's all these boys that I've hooked up with that are yeah. now my best friends that I just think back to when we were hooking up and I'm like, that was weird. <laughs> but from that, a romance didn't blossom, but a friendship did. Does that get weird at all? Um, having friends, and this is for everyone listening, I, I have a gay friend group that is similar to that. And we've all kind of intertwined at one point, but uh, but in your experience, is it weird? Like, how do you overcome that of, of, hey, we were, you know, sleeping with each other at one point and now we're all, you know, going on spring break. Um, it just kind of naturally gets, everyone gets over it or? <laughs> I mean, it's a really funny question to ask, isn't it? Because I think it's quite, maybe it's not specific to gay people, maybe straight people. I don't know. I guess maybe guys and girls can be friends with each other if they've dated before. Um, but it seems to be a lot closer in friendship groups within the gay community that there's definitely one or two people, if not more, that have hooked up with each other in a friendship <laughs> group. Um, I don't know. I can just speak to an experience I had with one of my best friends now where I met him at university and I was absolutely besotted with him. And I think he was the first boy that I loved. It was unrequited love. He didn't feel the same way about me. But we did hook up a couple of times and I just pined over him and cried over him and listened to sad songs uh, thinking about him. And one day he told me, he, he told me, straight to my face that he wasn't interested, which was the most amazing turning point in our friendship because I realized, okay, fine. We obviously feel different to each other. And then we managed to be friends. And since then, the thought of him sexually just repulses me because we're just so close as friends that I can't imagine the Josh that was obsessed with this guy. It's just, so distant. So I guess it, it's time. It's it's almost natural for gay guys to be able to get over a hookup quite quickly as well. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that kind of leads me into you know talking about hookup culture itself. Let's let's kind of address that because it's it's no 
lie. Like we don't have to sugarcoat it, but hookup culture is very prevalent amongst the gay community. Um, I would say more so than than straight culture. I mean, everyone in college and, and at, around that age is, is having fun and hooking up, but it continues for a lot of gays in their 20s, 30s, and sometimes even 40s. Uh, in your opinion, why, why is it so prevalent? Um, and what can we do to, I guess let's just start with why is it prevalent in your opinion? I think there's different factors as to why hookup culture is so prevalent. And I mean, I think we could talk about this for hours and unpack this, and I'm sure there are social scientists and psychologists that have done that. Um, I think there are a few factors. I mean, you spoke about straight people going through phases of hooking up and then maybe getting over it. I think one of the things that we need to watch out for as gay men especially is that there's no driver for maturity. There's no mm. woman a wife wanting to have kids to settle down. There's no sort of pressure by society to follow a set of rules that says you need to be married by a certain age, have kids by a certain age, you know, follow that life journey that is the cliche for straight people. So without that sort of impetus to change, without that impetus to grow up, we can get caught up in what I like to call late onset adolescence, where we're acting like teenagers because we don't have something causing us to act differently. There's no sort of turning point where we meet a woman who's wanting to have kids but has to deal with worrying about her body clock, right? That mm -hmm. forces us to kind of settle down and take note of where we are. So that that's one reason I think we can get caught up in just being perpetually randy and <laughs> hooking up. Um, I think the other thing is a lot of gay culture is very sexualized and there's a lot of e emphasis put on hooking up. And I wonder, and again, I'm, I'm not a social scientist, I'm not a historian, but I wonder if it comes from a place of, it comes from a historical place where gay men didn't have an opportunity to settle down with their partner, where hooking up was the only real expression of your homosexuality because you had to do it behind closed doors um, where you would take every opportunity you could to hook up with a man because you didn't know when the next opportunity was going to be. Um, so, I mean, that, that could be one of the reasons. I don't know. It's something I do think about. Um, and then I guess the other third thing that we shouldn't forget is a, a lot of people use hooking up as validation uh, so many of us, you know, including myself, we've been through this shame phase and this trauma of being in the closet and not being able to express yourself. And then we come out into this world where we're free and we're liberated, uh, but we still need the validation that we didn't get growing up. And we might seek that through sexual liaisons with lots of men to make us feel good, to make us feel loved, to make us feel wanted. Um, to make us feel like we're, we're normal. Um, and if we get caught up in that habit, it can be quite detrimental. And collectively, that could be what keeps us trapped. Sure. Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything uh, you just said. And uh, I, neither, and I'm not a social scientist either, neither, neither of us are, but I would tend to agree that um, it could be almost, you know, Society's uh, 
you know, society's view on us and, and kind of the, the bubble that they place us in and the stigma that they surrounds the gay community, it's almost causing, as you kind of mentioned, um, gay people to go out and hook up a lot because it, it like you said, it's uh, stigmatized, they're in the closet, they need self-validation. And, and 50 years ago, you couldn't get married to, your, to the love of your life. So, uh, you know, everything was in, in hooking up mm. style. Um, do you mm. think that social media is playing a negative role in, uh, in hookup, in the gay hookup culture? Probably, I could probably say it, you could probably say it for uh, hookup culture in general, but for the sake of this podcast, let's just focus on, on the gay community. Um, do you think that social media is playing a harmful role in not only hookup culture, but in self-validation and self-worth? Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. You all mean the world to me. Real quick, I want to talk to you about balls. Yes, balls. I have balls. Do you have balls? Even if you don't have balls, let me tell you a little something. Nobody wants to talk about shaving their balls, right? It's 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 kind of gross, and it's not something you bring up at the dinner table. But in my experience, it's been kind of traumatic sometimes. I'm sure we have all been there where we were, were in the shower or in the bathroom, and we nicked our nuts, and, and it started bleeding. And I don't know about you, but I literally thought that maybe my nuts would fall out. The balls would fall out. I don't even know if that's possible. It's probably not possible, but that's where Manscaped comes in. Manscaped is our sponsor today, here to make sure your balls are smooth while you or your partner are playing with them. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. Now look, listen, I, I would never take a sponsor if it wasn't someone I believed in, if it wasn't something that was actually worthy, and and they sent me some free stuff, they sent me some things just to try it out, see if I wanted to take this sponsorship, and they are absolutely amazing. I went to the bathroom and was shaving my balls, and I couldn't have had a more stress-free time doing it. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with a new and improved lawnmower 3.0. It's waterproof, cordless body trimmer. Look, this isn't bullshit. I'm I'm being honest. I was a little nervous at first. I was scared. And the trim was so smooth. It was so clean. There was nothing to worry about. And so that's why you're hearing this today. And they don't even just have razors. They have ball deodorant. They have ball toner. So do yourself and your balls a favor and get 20% off and free shipping with the code GAY. GayFam at Manscaped.com. That's right, 20% off and free shipping with the code GayFam at Manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use code GayFam. Make playing with your balls the best part of your day. Do you think that social media is playing a harmful role in not only hookup culture, but in self-validation and self-worth? Yeah, I think you make a really good point there. I, I think social media does play into it. I think the way it does play into it is through continuing this sexualized nature of gay culture. We see it's only natural for us to be attracted to good-looking muscle people, right? Mm -hmm. It's just sort of like innate as a gay man. You know, you get turned on by half-naked men. That's just it. That's right. your raw animal instinct. And so even though your brain's telling you not to engage with this type of content because it doesn't make you feel good about yourself, you're still drawn to it. And then you add onto this the layer of intelligence that is applied to social media where it learns your habits. 
So it keeps feeding you content that you've engaged with previously. So you keep engaging, you click on one post of a good looking guy in speedos on the beach and suddenly you're getting fed content of similar looking people and you get trapped in this content eco chamber that is just the same type of person in various iterations, <laughs> half naked, making you feel very low and insecure and making you feel like you need to look like this. And then, you add on to the need to find validation in yourself because you, you've seen this other person being validated through likes, through comments, uh, through what appears to be this popularity. And so then you go out and seek it yourself. And the way that you can do that is through hooking up. So I do think that that over-sexualized uh, content that we get fed constantly on social media is perpetuating low self-esteem, which is then driving the need to hook up. So I think it's this kind of like endless loop uh, that we find ourselves in if we don't consciously decide to step out. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're stuck in exactly what you said, this endless loop of the algorithm feeding us what we want to see, what we sometimes want to see, but now we're saturated in it and it's making us feel bad because, you know, someone only has four apps and not eight and then... Um, it just leads to hooking <laughs> exactly. up. And so, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what you said, so you said consciously, unless we consciously get out of it, how do we consciously get out of it? What have you taken, if applicable, what steps have you taken to kind of take a step back and realize what's going on and, and really just, just for your own mental health sake, what, what have you done, um, you know, with that? In terms of how do I sort of safeguard myself against the self-esteem issues associated with social media, or how do I try avoid hookup culture? Because um, let's start with social media. Different. Yeah, let's start with let's start with social media and and that decision to consciously take your take a step back and and realize what's going on. How how does one who's listening, who is trapped in that algorithm, um, figure it out and figure out how to how to get their self-esteem back? Yeah, I think the first thing is acknowledging what makes you feel good and what makes you feel bad. If you go onto Instagram and you're in a mood and then you spend time on there and you leave in a worse off mood, then clearly it's Instagram and the content you're watching that's the problem. And I started to realize that, you know, it takes one post for me to get stuck into a vortex of scrolling through lots of posts of gorgeous guys and you know stalking you you see someone and they're tagged and you follow them and you get into this rabbit hole of doom <laughs> um so i become really conscious to catch myself when i start doing it at the very beginning before i lose 45 minutes of just mindless scrolling and mindless uh, activity that's leaving me feel bad. And I think it, that's with any bad habit, it's about catching you, yourself at the very beginning. Not that I'd be like, actually, no, I, I'm going to consciously step away from that. Yeah. I've seen that post. I, it, it prompted me to get engaged, but I'm going to take a active decision not to get engaged. I'm going to turn off Instagram. I'm going to do something else. You know, I started pinning things on Pinterest. I, I got into a habit of like putting mood boards together on Pinterest whenever I found myself in uh, in an Instagram hole. And it was what I realized is like I'm trying to counteract 
the negativity. So the moment I started getting into this loop of looking at stuff on Instagram that was making me feel bad, I was like, actually, no, if you want to be on social media, go to Pinterest and do a mood board of the things that you want out of life and the vision you have for your future and the positive things you want to attract as opposed to using social media as a, uh, you know, as this place where you get sucked into a black hole of negativity. I wanted to find a way to waste my time positively. So that was one of the, the things that I did. Sure. That, that's awesome. So it, it ultimately boils down to, to being self-aware and knowing what you're about to be doing, you know, could lead you down that rabbit hole and, and then trying to turn that time into something positive. Um, and then, so let's, mm -hmm. let's go back to hookup culture a little Sorry. bit. Um, let's talk about uh, your, not, not too personal, but your experience with hookup culture and how it's harmful um, in your experience, how it, it can be harmful and what we can do, what an individual can do to, to get away from that or to get out of it. Yeah, I mean, th this is an interesting question because I grew up in a time of sex positivity, which was as a gay man, you should be engaging in, you know, sexual endeavors and having fun and enjoying yourself and it's all about you know just as long as you're safe just go out there and enjoy yourself right it was really kind of drilled in about sex positivity like play safe and have fun and be part of this amazing experience of being sexually liberated and i found that quite unfulfilling at times and it was really jarring with me this kind of pressure to hook up and I was having older gay men who were from a different generation telling me that I need to hook up when I'm young because when you're my age, people aren't going to be attracted to you. So hook up with as many people as you can while you're still young and pretty. Um, but that was leaving me quite empty. And I was having, you know, I, I consider myself, I am quite honestly a sexual person. I do like hooking up with guys, but that being the end goal of an evening or that being a way to feel loneliness or try counteract depression is not ever going to work. I do know of people that are able to enter sexual liaisons frequently, frequently, frequently from a positive place. And I think that's the difference is their intention is slightly different. Like they're very, what I would say, woke. They're very kind of like, in touch with their feelings, their emotions, they're very sure of themselves, and they can just have fun sexually, and that's fine, that works for them. And, you know, I think that's unfortunately a small portion of the population, but if that does work for you, uh, by all means do it. But if you're constantly seeking validation, or if you get into this obsession with needing to hook up with someone every time you go out, or anytime you're alone by yourself, uh, and those interactions aren't making you feel good at the end of the day. If you're not feeling uplifted and uh, energized by the experience, then you're probably not doing it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to completely dismiss people who enjoy having sex and can do it in a really positive way without it being detriment detrimental to their mental health and without it being anything more than just kind of like fun. But I also want to acknowledge that a lot of people don't do it for that reason. And there's sort of like a subconscious draw to it that isn't fulfilling. 
Sure. Yeah. And, and I, I do want to state, too, as well, that, that I wasn't I'm not meaning to, to sex shame anyone. Um, you know, I, I do believe in sex positivity. You know, you should be you know proud of your body and, and who you are. And if you sleep with 100 people, great. If you sleep with one person, that's that's your business. Um, so I, I did want to just reiterate that I, I was just talking about the state of hookup culture and can it be harmful to to individuals, not not as a as a whole hookup hooking up um, and hooking up. Um, is it in your experience, though, and this relates directly just to the gay community, um, is it more harmful having it be so prevalent because it makes finding a actual meaningful relationship more difficult because there's more trust issues like everyone is is you know sleeping around with each other so when you actually do find someone that you really like does it make it does it make it harder because now you're worried that they're still going to be very promiscuous and and just every the options are always there and easy mm -hmm. you know is that does that is that making sense that question yeah yeah I think we've been conditioned by this hookup culture, right? And we take that with us into any new relationship. And it might be difficult to change your behavior. And if it is validation that you're looking for through hooking up with people and you're with one partner, then that sort of validation you get from them could wane after some time. And therefore, you need to feel like you're attractive to other people in order mm. to keep feeling validated. And I think that's what might drive uh, people's sort of inability to connect is that there's always like the next best thing. There's always a need to kind of get that hit of validation. Um, but I do think that everyone wants to be loved at the end of the day. I think everyone's just trying to find happiness. Everyone's trying to find love. Um, there are lots of people out there that do want to just find one person and not partake in this, but it just seems harder to find someone that matches you. But I think if we stripped away that need for approval from others and if we stripped away and worked on ourselves, then we'd find it easier to connect with other people. And I do also want to say that like, we're talking about mainstream gay culture here. We're talking about like what we see in, um, you know, the, the big kind of gay epicenters where we talk about the, the main uh, areas where gay men congregate. Like that's what we're talking about there. But there are gay men that don't congregate there, that don't partake in pop culture. There are peripheral communities that exist outside of that mainstream that behave and act differently as well. So mm -hmm. it might be that you need to step away from the kind of like big gay mainstream vibe and explore other communities within the community uh, in order to find people that are more like-minded. Sure, no, that, that makes total sense. If you're stuck in the LA gay party scene, getting coked out and doing orgies every other weekend, you might wanna think about stepping away from that if you're, if you're really looking for love. Um, Exactly. Just because that, envir that, that environment doesn't yeah. breed, you know, I'm not saying you can't find love there, but that environment doesn't breed other people who are at that time looking for, for love. Probably not. So, yeah, that makes total sense just to mm -hmm. step away. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this. Continue on the topic of sex positivity. And 
specifically sex positivity being at Pride. Um, so people dressing minimal, minimal clothes, uh, people showing off their, their kinks. You have gay men on, on leashes with, with leather ropes and things attached. Um, is, uh, and not, not to discredit the importance or the celebration of it or, or to shame anyone who participates in that, but is that necessary at Pride in your opinion? And does it add value to mm. the Pride experience in your opinion? Mm. Mm. Yeah, again, a, a really interesting question and something that I have tackled with internally um, and been thinking about a lot lately, uh, as a matter of fact. And I think there's definitely a place for it. Um, I, I really feel that the purpose of Pride is for everyone in our community to be able to express themselves in public. That's mm -hmm. it. It's about coming out. It's about taking the people that have traditionally been on the margins of society and putting them center stage for one day or one week and saying, this is me, this is who I am, this is how I identify, uh, this is a part of me that you don't get to see all the time and I'm proud of who I am. I think that's really important and I don't want to lose that sense in our community because that's what we've been championing for is this acceptance that we're different, we're on the margins or we have been on the margins of society, we've been treated like perverts, we've been persecuted, we've been killed, we've been punished, we're still being killed and bullied and um, parts of the world where, you know, people can't express any form of pride for fear of being hung or thrown off a building or having their family murdered. So to be able to come out of the darkness still to this day and show all the various colors of our rainbow and all the various sides of our community is still really important. And we mustn't forget as well that pride is about remembering the past. And there have been so many subcultures within the gay community that have been so important in pushing the pride and acceptance movement forward, right? All yeah. the kind of BDSM and um, all, all the leather communities and all of those have been advocates for change. And, and they're always also, they're, they're the most visual representation of queerness. You know, we often hear this argument that it wasn't really the kind of like muscle cis white men that were the ones that were at the forefront of pushing gay rights forward because they could kind of blend into the shadows when they needed to. It was the queer people of color. It was the people that were, you know, outwardly expressing their homosexuality that were the kind of pioneers of, of the movement. So we mustn't forget that past. I think the other thing that I've reminded oh, myself of was that when I, when I came out, one of the most I was just going to say, when I, when I came out, one of the things that I found so powerful about being gay was that I got to make up the rules and that the rules of society didn't necessarily apply to me, especially when I was coming out. It was separate uh, age of consent for gay men. It, there were still sort of laws that were sort of kind of confusing as a gay man, whether it was illegal or not, um, how you could have sex and all these kind of strange things. And I thought the best thing about being gay is that I don't have to follow this 
heteronormative approach to living because it doesn't apply to me. So I get to make up my own rules. So I wouldn't want us, as we get more rights, as we become more accepted, to lose the sense of freedom that comes with being LGBTQI. Totally. Yeah, that that, that does make a lot of sense. I I personally wrestle with the question. Um, I, I I wrestle with both ends of, of how you should dress and also our, our, our kinks, you know, uh, is there a place for kinks at Pride? Um, I guess addressing the 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 dress, like wearing no, almost no clothes, uh, I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem with when individuals make shame or make others not feel welcomed. Because I've heard stories, and I know of people who are overweight or don't have the best body who say that they don't feel welcomed at Pride. That they get weird looks. That they um, you know, they don't just don't feel welcomed at the place where they're supposed to feel welcomed the most. And that boils down to the individuals, I believe, more so than the environment, because we should be able to create an environment at Pride that has everybody, you know, feeling comfortable, whether they're shirtless and 400 pounds or shirtless and eight abs and, and, and you know, chiseled muscle. Um, so that that is more an individual issue of the people that are at Pride. They need to step up and and, and welcome their fellow LGBT uh, you know brethren and sisters. Um, as for kinks, I wrestle with this mm-hmm. in the BDSM a little bit more because I think it crosses a again. I don't have any issue with it. I have an issue with it at Pride because I think it crosses a line of what are we actually celebrating? We're we're supposed to be celebrating, or as, as, the, as they say, pride's a celebration of, of love and being able to love your partner, regardless of if it's a man, if it's a woman, if it's asexual, whatever, if it's gender fluid. And when we start making it too sexual, meaning we're celebrating the kinks and the, and the BDSM, then does it, does it kind of devalue or dilute the message of we're celebrating the idea that we can love who we love, um, because now we're celebrating sexual sexual acts or, or kinks, and then it makes it less welcoming for children. Obviously, I mean, children are in straight gay doesn't matter. Children aren't supposed to be around, you know, highly sexual activity. You know, R-rated movies; they're not allowed in. Things like that. Um, so now, once we have that at Pride, it, it makes it less ch- family friendly. And I'm under the impression that we should encourage families to go to Pride and to partake in Pride because we want to raise our children right and we want to raise our children to be loving of the LGBT community and accepting of it. So so that's where I wrestle with it. You know, I I don't know if there's one clear answer, but that's that's my personal opinion is that I don't I don't want kinks and BDSM to dilute the the message and the celebration of of love. In, in, a, in a family-friendly way. So that's kind of my take take on it. Mm. But I appreciate you you and in, in your input as mm. well. But, yeah, no, I, I'm just, I mean, it's interesting and it is definitely an argument that gets brought up a, a lot. I think firstly, we need to remember that, you know, the, the essence of pride has, like, do we need to change the essence of pride just so that it's a bit more comfortable for more people? It was never about people being comfortable. That was the essence of it. It was about these people on the, 
periphery of society coming forward and walking down the main streets and saying, here I am and this is me. And, you know, I, I would never want us to have to start changing because of heteronormative values of what uh, normality should look like and sort of diluting it so that it was a bit more kind of user-friendly. So that, that, that's just one thing that I, I'm conscious of because like you, I, I've wrestled with that. And I, I read up a little bit about this. And, you know, we, we mustn't forget that for some people, their identity is BDSM. Mm. that they live in communities and they live in homes where, where that is part of their identity, just like being a gay man is part of your or my identity. People live a lifestyle where they have slaves at home and they have their dogs, you know, like I, I, I don't know enough about the community to be able to comment. I, I don't know yeah. the terminology, but I do know that that's how some people live. And some people do bring up their children in an environment Sure, it, it, it might seem sexual to us because we're looking at it from an outsider perspective, but I th I've read articles of families that embrace this kind of leather culture mm -hmm. and, you know, that, that's very much as much as part of their identity in their day-to-day -day life as it is ours. And it's not just a sexual act or ex expression of sex. It's very much an expression of their identity. Um, so I can definitely see both sides uh, of the, the, the coin. And I think it's it's important for us to debate and discuss like we are. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you struck something you said struck me. You said uh, it's supposed to be uncomfortable. And I would agree with that. Um, yeah, it, it, pride is to an extent supposed to be uncomfortable because it's supposed to expose and show you um, this side of, of culture, this side of this, this underrepresented, un underwhelmed, suppressed group for so long. So it's supposed to make some people a little uncomfortable. Um, again, it just, we just got to think, be conscious of towing the line between, um, you know, too uncomfortable and not, but that, th those are some very good points that they are a culture that, um, you know, we yeah. shouldn't, we should be welcoming of all cultures. I would and, also... Go ahead. Yeah, 100%. I would also question, as much as we question the intention of people who want to express their kinks, question the intention of men who spend six to eight weeks working on their physique in the lead up to Pride so mm -hmm. that they can take their tops off and dance at a party and, you know, be sexually adventurous for a weekend with men from all over the world because... You know, I think maybe those people also need to be questioned, like, are you losing the essence of what Pride's about? It goes back to our conversation about brands getting involved. When I was in Sydney, and it, it was happening in London too, I was getting fed adverts on Facebook and Instagram from personal trainers and uh, big gyms saying, get Pride ready, as if I needed to work on my body in order to participate in Pride. Mm. Um, and then you do find people that are like, I'm on my pride diet. I'm on a diet for pride because, I, and it's like, is that what it is to you? It's just a chance for you to get, and maybe it is, maybe that's how they express their pride. But, you know, if we're questioning that expression, um, if we're questioning BDSM and that, then I think we should be questioning how kind of those people are expressing pride as well and whether their intentions are, are right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this, this, you know, very prevalent body image stereotype that is propped up uh, in the gay community. I know we talked a little bit about it because, of course, everybody likes to look at muscles and things like that. It's just natural for us to, to be turned on by that. Um, 
but yeah, that that is in and of itself an, an issue. But I think that's that's an individual issue that they have to realize that they might be celebrating pride for um, a different reason than someone else. Again, not to judge why you're celebrating pride, but I do think it's important to 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 make note that pride is a cel- is a group celebration, and, and it's not. If you want to use it to sell, show off your body, then by all means do it, but don't forget what it's what its actual roots come from and what it actually means um do you do you have any advice for anyone who might be listening i guess do you have any advice for any for your younger self what would you tell your 20 year old self um if you were talking if he was talking to you today or if he was listening to this podcast oh how long do we have um (laughs) Uh, what, what I've been doing lately with all my content on, on TikTok and Instagram is asking myself that question, like, what would I want to hear from an older me if I was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20? What would I want to sit down and tell little Josh? Um, and, and I think that's, that's the essence of what I do on TikTok, what I do on Instagram, what I do on my blog is, is really, well, it's twofold. It's critiquing society from a kind of developed gay man's perspective and also thinking what would I want my younger self to to know um so there's a lot of things there obviously if you've seen my my, my content yeah and real uh, real quick think, drop your drop your socials real quick um as you just mentioned them your yes TikTok app, I mean my yeah. Instagram's at Josh Van Sant and my TikTok I think is at JVS I should probably check I think it's at JVS um, and my blog's themoderngay.com. Uh, so throughout those various platforms, you'll be able to read everything I ever would have said to myself. And I probably would have tell, told myself to be quiet um, <laughs> and I don't need a lecture from an older guy. Um, I've got this. But I, I, in essence, I would just remind myself that everything's going to be okay, that one day being gay is not going to be the most defining part of you, that it's it's going to be fine, you're going to be happy, you're going to get through this. Uh, it's not an affliction or a punishment, and it's not something you can change. It's so very much a part of you, like every other part of you. Uh, and that your parents and friends and family, and everyone's going to be okay with it. So just don't fear it so much. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Just take your time and, and, and practice patience. And that's really great. So, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you you coming on and talking to me today. Uh, that's Josh Van Sant. That's your Instagram. And your blog is themoderngay.com. I really appreciate you coming on, taking the time to speak with me. No, thank you. Thank you. Like I said, I mean, what, what you're doing is, is amazing. I think if we can create businesses as gay men for the LGBTQI community, that inspire, that uplift, that create a sense of community, um, and we can bring commerce to that, um, and you know, keep it in this ecosystem with the great intentions like you're doing. I think that you know that's amazing, and I'm so glad that you've invited me on, and I really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. You are all so beautiful and amazing. Make sure to check us out at www.thealphabetmafia.com. You can read our blogs there. You can support our brand. Get a sticker. Get yourself a sticker. That really helps us. It raises brand awareness. You put it on your water bottle. You put it on your laptop. 
it becomes more of a common thing seeing around town. If you want to be featured on our YouTube show where I answer your DMs and emails regarding, you know, your situation you're in or needing advice, you can email us at info at thealphabetmafia.com. Again, that's info at thealphabetmafia.com. Just put in the headline LGBTQ plus advice, something like that, and I will I will try and read it and then use it on the show. Um, of course, if you need serious help, you can visit the trevorproject.org or you can give them a call at 1-866-488-7386. If you are in need of serious help, please reach out to those people immediately. They will be more than happy to help in a, in a tremendous way. Thank you all for tuning in, and I hope you have a beautiful morning, evening, whatever it is. Good night.